Hola, bienvenidos. Welcome to the Learn Spanish Con Salsa podcast. I'm your host, Tamara Marie. Before we get started with this episode, I have a quick question for you. What are you doing to improve your Spanish this summer? Summer is a time for vacations, for getting away, and you might even be planning on visiting a Spanish-speaking country. So it is the perfect time to improve your conversational skills because let's face it, if you've been learning Spanish for any length of time and you haven't been having regular conversations, you are going to fall behind. So this summer, we are not gonna let you do that. Here at Spanish Con Salsa, we are offering a summer boot camp. This is an eight-week boot camp that will focus on Caribbean Spanish and also Spanish grammar. So we're gonna be looking specifically at the past tense. A lot of people get confused between el imperfecto, el preterito, when do I use which one? And we're also gonna be exploring the Caribbean with Puerto Rican Spanish, Cuban Spanish, and Dominican Spanish. So you will have an opportunity opportunity to improve your Spanish and you'll also be able to attend regular conversation practice sessions facilitated by a native speaker all as a part of our Spanish fluency club this summer so if you are interested go to spanishconsalsa.com slash summer that's spanishconsalsa.com slash summer Registration is open now through Sunday. We have limited spots available. So if you're interested, I encourage you to press pause now before you listen to this episode. Scroll down to the description and click on the link or just go to SpanishConSalsa.com slash summer. Hope to see you in the boot camp. Now let's get started with this week's episode. Hola y bienvenidos al episodio 81. Welcome to episode 81 of the Learn Spanish Con Salsa podcast. Now, if you started learning Spanish as an adult, you may have thought at some point it would have been great if I had started learning when I was much younger. And if you have children of your own, you may also be thinking that you want them to grow up bilingual so they have an advantage that you might not have had from a young age. The good news is there's no need to wait. By the end of this episode, you'll be able to start your own journey to raising bilingual children. Así que vamos a empezar. Bienvenidos! Welcome to the Learn Spanish Con Salsa podcast, the show for Spanish learners that love music, travel, and culture. Close your grammar textbooks, shut down the language apps, and open your ears to how Spanish is spoken in the real world. Let us show you how to go from beginner to bilingual. Here is your host, certified language coach, Tamara Marie. In this episode, I'll be interviewing Dr. Camille Anderson, founder and CEO of Bilingual Brown Babies. Dr. Camille is an interculturalist, scholar, and language advocate. She developed a revolutionary online program that meets Black families where they are in their journey to bilingualism. She's a passionate, lifelong teacher that built her business with her four bilingual children in her heart and on her mind. Dr. Camille and I talk about the best ways to teach your children Spanish, even if you're not fluent yet, and she even gives some basic phrases that you can start using around the house right away. I am super excited to share this conversation with you. I'm sure you'll be inspired, and it is packed with useful information, so make sure you stick around for the whole episode. So with that, let's get right to my conversation with Dr. Camille Anderson. 
Bienvenida. Welcome to the Learn Spanish con Salsa podcast. Gracias, gracias. Hola, ¿cómo anda? Todo bien, todo bien. Entonces, cuéntanos un poquito de ti. So, tell us a little bit about you and how you got started with learning Spanish. Oh, goodness. I am a lover of orange, a lover of African dance, and a mom of four. And I have been involved in language since, actually since the sixth grade. I was enrolling in a new middle school and they said, hey, do you want to take French or Spanish? And my response was, oh, Spanish? <laughs> and it kind of went from, and it kind of went from there. Um, I ended up majoring in it in college and I taught, I taught it for a few years and I also worked in Latin America in relief and development for a few years as well. Wow, interesting. So how did you go from sort of, I think we all had the experience kind of growing up, like I think here in middle school, like in the U.S., it's like, all right, pick a foreign language. It's like French or Spanish or whatever, right? And we just like pick whatever one is easier, right? So how did you go from that to really, really getting more involved in wanting to be fluent in Spanish and deciding to major in Spanish in college? That's a big leap from sixth grade to having a degree in Spanish. Yeah, it was actually interesting because I actually went to college and I started off as a biology major because I thought I was going to be um, an obstetrician gynecologist. However, my biology grades were um, telling me that that probably wasn't the best option for me. <laughs> I was already a Spanish minor, so I just ended up flipping my minor into a major. And in doing so, I was I was able to do the study abroad. And then and by the time I got to my junior year, I realized I had more than enough credits and ended up even graduating early with the degree in Spanish. I graduated a semester early because of it. Okay, so where did you study abroad? Where was that experience? I was in Oaxaca, Mexico. And we were down there for the summer. We took language classes. We took civilization classes. And then we also toured all over Oaxaca. And then we spent our last four or five days in Mexico City doing stuff there after we went a little bit to the beach to Puerto Escondido for a little bit to, you know, play on the water. And then we went to Mexico <laughs> City and we were there for a few days as well. And then we came back. So it was, it was, a, it was a summer intensive that we did um, in Oaxaca. And I did that probably this summer going into my junior year, if I'm, if I'm remembering. So, all right. So I have a question for you because I know a lot of people will say, you know, if you want to be fluent in Spanish then you just need to go travel, right? Like go spend a summer in Mexico, basically like you did. And they say, until you do that, you cannot really be fluent in the language because you need to be fully immersed in it and living somewhere where people speak Spanish every day. So for you, did you find that that was true or what was it? What was it that got you to a point where you felt like you could finally say, like, I'm bilingual, not like, oh, I'm just learning Spanish, right? I'm dabbling with Spanish. I know a little bit of Spanish. Hablo poquito, right? Like that we always say. Yeah. How did you get from that to like where you really felt confident with the fluency in Spanish? Well, I can say that study abroad did not do that for me. And part of the reason why it didn't is because I also had the stresses of culture shock. Like being able to, okay, I've got to learn this language, but I've also got to function and then I'm in a strange place. I don't really know. And culture shock really takes it played a huge role, played a larger role than actually the language learning did when I did study abroad. So I didn't actually become bilingual until after until my master's program. So my master's program, they actually took a certification test in order to be in order to get certified bilingual. And I passed that test, but that was after I had been out of I had been out of school and away from Oaxaca for almost 
almost five or six years. When I took that test, it was just the level of comfort that I had in the language and also the newness of things. I had to learn some things about just, just interculturalism before I was able to feel comfortable with saying, okay, I can now put these things aside in order to focus on the language. I know a lot of times I'm actually one of those people that tells folks, yes, going, just going to a country isn't going to do it because if you're not paying attention, close attention to that culture shock, it's gonna it's gonna impede you being able to really get it you'll have it in the moment but then when you come back you come back to the states you may or may not have it for much longer because now you've got the culture shock kind of wearing off it's no longer survival for you and then everything starts to dissipate and disappear so being able to have a good handle on both of those things help in terms of language and linguistic ability Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, because I've met some people who've done the study abroad thing, too. Now, I did not do that in college. I actually didn't learn Spanish until after I left college, even though I took it in middle school, but I don't really count that. (laughs) So it's interesting because I have heard people who spent that summer abroad. And some of them, it's like, yeah, it's like riding a bike, right? If you don't use it, you lose it. So they'll Mm -hmm. struggle to sort of come up with like a coherent sentence in Spanish and you can kind of see their frustration. They're like, oh man, I knew this. I knew, why don't I know this anymore? So I think you make a valid point that it's not a cure-all, right? To just go somewhere and expect the language to, to like come to you by osmosis, especially since being in the U.S., like there's people who've been, who've migrated here and have been here for years and don't speak English. So why would right. you expect that you go to another country <laughs> and you would just automatically like, right, like have Spanish come into your DNA, like it doesn't work like that. So I'm glad you said that. It's interesting because I was curious to hear how it really worked out for you, especially since you started this company, Bilingual Brown Babies. And you also mentioned you have have four kids. So I have to like hats off to you. I have to give you a salute (laughs) because I have one. And if you multiply that by four, I'd be like, okay, I quit. So (laughs) there are days, there are days. I just know that I can't. It's not a job that you can just resign from. That's the difference. Not without uh, some some really grave consequences, right? You can't just leave the job. So tell us about Bilingual Brown Babies. Like, what made you start Bilingual Brown Babies? And what is it that you do for families that want to raise their children to be bilingual? It actually started out of a conversation I was having with my oldest child. Because since my kids came out of the womb, it's been only Spanish in terms of what they hear from me. And then they got, because I knew that when they got to school, they would get the English and they would get the English from their father and all of that stuff. So I wasn't necessarily concerned about whether or not they'd be able to handle this thing. So he was in a dual immersion school and at that dual immersion school, he was just a little bit, he was a little bit ahead of the folks in this class because the, the folks in this class, they were still trying to learn the language. He can actually function in it. And we're in the car and one day he says, you know, I don't think I want to do Spanish anymore. And my heart kind of sank. I said, what? Again? What are you talking about? What is, what is, what's going on? <laughs> and his rationale behind it was because, well, nobody else does it around me. It's just me. At school, it's just me. And I'm the only one. So it's me and the teacher are the only ones that are really talking. The other kids, they just kind of sit back and they don't really, they don't participate. I can't really talk to them. I don't have anybody else to talk to besides you and my teacher. Because at the time, his brother, his little brother at the time was only like two, three years old. So he wasn't as functional in either language at that point. And I realized, it's like, you know what? Well, you need a tribe. So let me get you a tribe. 
But what I wanted to do was make sure that he had folks around him that not only spoke Spanish, but also looked like him. So when I started Bilingual Brown Babies, it was the intent of specifically helping Black families to be able to incorporate bilingualism into their family lifestyle. So it's really like a family communication thing. How do we make this work within your family? Because that's the one piece that we were missing in school, right? You took Spanish in middle school, I took Spanish in middle school. My mom taught me how to count to 10 and she taught me the alphabet and she stopped there. And so <laughs> when I came home from school in AP Spanish 4, she was like, I, I can't help you, let me find you a tutor. <laughs> it was kind of my own will and motivation to want to continue, but not all kids have that, have that, type, that same type of will. And motivation they need to see the folks around them doing it and if you see folks around you doing it and those folks also look like you it helps with retention so i decided that i was going to work with black parents specifically in order to make sure that they had tools in place to make sure that they are able to reinforce whatever spanish their kids are going to get in school or if they were homeschooling their kids how to make sure that they were using language as a mechanism for all learning and not just this separate course outside of math and science. Wow, that's interesting. So what was like your first project? Like what was the first thing you did to sort of help facilitate that? Because like you said, I think uh, it's really big. I'm also with my son too. He doesn't have peers that go to school with him that speak Spanish. So, and he's learning Japanese now too. So he went way left and that's a whole other story. But <laughs> he's interested, right? And since we've been sort of on quarantine, he's been doing some online classes. But what do you do in terms of with bilingual brown babies to facilitate that community uh, environment for the children? And I started working with parents one-on-one. -on -one. That's what I did first. And I had one-on-one -on -one, one -on -one clients that I was working with and just walking them through. We would meet weekly and say, hey, this is the language plan for your family. You are a beginning Spanish speaker. So the only thing I need to make sure you do for at least the next week is count out loud in Spanish and do these five commands. <laughs> and then I would build it up a little bit more. Okay, now that you've got these five and you feel comfortable, let's add five more. Now that you've got up to 10, let's try to count up to 20. Let's look at how to say certain foods now so that you can start to be able to incorporate those things and getting them to a point and just kind of building their own speaking confidence to a point where they felt comfortable using it more. And all of those things that we know contribute to a child's learning and development in English, same holds true for Spanish. We're so making sure that they feel comfortable reading the books, they feel comfortable saying the things and not necessarily turning it into I'm having language class with my kid, but more so I'm normalizing language at home so that their brain knows and my brain knows and we all understand we do both of these at in this house. It's interesting because one, you know, learning language as a black person from the U.S., first of all, the United States language learning, I think is becoming more popular. I mean, everyone has Duolingo now, but I think that the U.S. is notoriously known for um, not being bilingual or multilingual that, you know, versus like Europe where, you know, you've got Spain and France next to each other, Italy's right there. And a lot of people travel between different countries that speak different languages more often than maybe we do here. And there's also this kind of sentiment that comes from some parts of U.S. culture that, oh, everyone should speak English, right? So bilingualism, I think, is something that isn't super common in the U.S., but even maybe less so in the Black community in the United States. So what would you say to a parent that maybe they're thinking, you know, I really want my kids to be bilingual because I've heard all the benefits of bilingualism because, you know, I know that learning Spanish is important because of our, our neighbor countries that speak Spanish and our community here that speak Spanish and all the wonderful things, right? Mm -hmm. But 
they're not bilingual themselves and they feel like, oh, well, I don't speak Spanish fluently. So how can I actually teach my child to speak Spanish when I know I have like a bad accent or, you know, is this cultural appropriation because I'm not I'm not Latina or Latino? Like, what would you say to a parent that maybe has some of those roadblocks to actually getting started with teaching their children? Well, one of the things I do with especially with my one on one class, because I've had this conversation come up with a couple of folks before is walk. I kind of walk them back to their language classroom experiences. Like one of the things that I do know is not only are we kind of more monolingual when it comes to United States, but we also don't necessarily set our kids up for success in language because it's, hey, just check off these boxes. You did it for two years, you're good, not bad. Versus really trying to make sure that folks are functional in it. And for the black student, it's even worse because they're already looking at us as if we're at a deficit because of whatever their little microaggressive thoughts and stereotypes might be in terms of us in the English language. So when I walk folks back into their language experience in the classroom, one of the things we find is that it's not necessarily that you can't do it because you have the ability to, you're brilliant, look at the great, look at how you did in all of your other courses. It's just something about this particular environment wasn't set up for your success. So let me teach you how to set your child up for success. Don't worry about teaching them, just talk to them. And in talking to them, just like in English, because you didn't necessarily sit down and teach them subject verb agreement, you just set it in conversation. I eat, right. I ate. You do that gentle correction and just teaching them how to do those same things in language in order to help them with their confidence and to kind of dismiss some of those past traumas they might have had in the language classroom so that they can feel as though this is something that they can do wherever they might be, beginner, intermediate, or what have you. So address this other thing for me, because this is actually something I struggle with, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts, because you said, you know, even if you're a beginner or, you know, intermediate level, that you can teach your kids Spanish. For me, I know early on with my son, I was very comfortable playing music for him in Spanish because that's pretty much what I did. That's how I learned Spanish. Mm -hmm. But I had this sort of, um, I had a hesitation when it came to actually speaking to him. One, because I felt like it was a little bit artificial because everyone that, that naturally grew up speaking Spanish, they came from a specific country. Right. So if you're learning from a curriculum, you're not actually going to learn like authentically like, oh, this is how a mom in Venezuela or a mom from Puerto Rico would talk to their kid because it can be a little bit different. So what I felt like, oh, I'm not going to be authentic. And then two, I felt like, oh, my accent is horrible right now. Like, how can I I don't want to teach him with like my mistakes. Like you grow up with like a very gringo accent, like if I teach him. So that like at the very beginning, like those were two of my big hangups. So what would you say about that, like introducing sort of the cultural aspects as well as dealing with your own level if it's not super advanced and not when you sort of pass on your language mistakes to your kids. One of the things that's really important is making sure that your child actually hears it, hears you say it. Whatever foibles, whatever mistakes, whatever errors, whatever lack of accent or particular accent that you might have, the really the goal is to just make sure the brain is clear that we're doing two different things at this time. And then as you go and as you grow, you start to get you start to get those other things that'll help you out. One of the things that I like to remind folks is, you know, hey, whatever you do, whatever you say is always gonna be more than your child. <laughs> because you're because you're working with them, uh, we, so it's not necessarily something that you necessarily have to 
I have to think that it has to be perfect. I think a lot of times, especially when it comes to language, we want this perfection because we call, I call it zero to 60. You know that you've only had two weeks worth of Spanish, but you want to sound just like a Maralanegra when she's speaking Spanish, but that's not gonna happen because you've only been there for two weeks, but you gotta start somewhere. And it's the same sort of thing when it comes to how you're working with your kids. What, whatever you give them, even if it's incorrect, just like with English, as you get the corrections, you correct your child as, as you go along and it's, and it's perfectly fine to be able to do that. So yeah, thank you for saying that because I think that uh, you mentioned, you touched on one thing that I've also heard a lot is that perfectionism, right? Like we mm -hmm. all want, we know that we don't sound like native speakers, right? From jump, we're like, okay, I know there's something different. And especially if you haven't really studied the sounds of Spanish and really worked on your pronunciation. And if English is your first language, you're just gonna sound, you're gonna have an accent. But I always tell people like, I think that having an accent is a sign of bravery. Like there's people who speak English and they have accents, right? We talk to them, they speak English fluently and we know exactly what they're saying. And we don't look down on them. I hope you don't right. um, because they have an accent but they are accomplishing their goals in life, right? They are uh, talking to their children, they're raising families, they have jobs, they have businesses, and English might not be their first language. So I always encourage people to kind of flip the script and kind of look at it from the other perspective and how you look at somebody who's learned English as a second language and just be accepting of those differences. And then I tell people all the time, I said, depending upon who it is I'm talking to and what it is I'm talking about, my accent can go from gringa to caribeña to to colombiana it can it can shift depending upon what it is i'm talking about because some of the vocabulary i might have learned in very specific places so it all depends but it doesn't change how my kids are able to get spanish okay so share with us then so for a parent that might just be getting started right let's say they're inspired by what you said they're like all right i'm a beginner i don't care i want to learn spanish I want my kids to speak spanish too so i want to get started with something today so like what are a few different commands that they can start using around the house to give to their children to like start using Spanish in their day-to-day -day life? One of the things that I think is really helpful for folks is being able to tell their kids when to stop and tell their kids to bring them something. Cause that's something, that's what we're doing all the time, right? Stop doing that and bring me that. <laughs> right. <laughs> Some of the first things that I usually give, I usually tell parents is how to say enough, basta. And you can change that up in a various ways. You can be really sweet. If they're doing something and you just want to kind of calm it down, basta con eso, gracias. Or if they're doing way too much, you can get a little bit louder, hey, basta. And they'll, <laughs> and they'll start to learn. You can use, it's easy to use hand motions. You can do the, you know, the little cut sign that we typically do when we're trying to get our kids to cut it out. And then the other thing that I teach, I make parents to make sure that they know is traeme. And so traeme zapatos, traeme plato, traeme remoto, traeme juguete, ponte los zapatos. Ponte los zapatos. So put on your shoes. Put those shoes on yourself. Literally put the shoes on yourself. Ponte los zapatos. All of these different things can kind of help them in terms of being able to have the child be able to follow commands. Because our ability to be able to follow directions also speaks to our level of fluency in a language. And you know that just like in English, once we are able to follow multi-step directions in English, that means that we've progressed linguistically. Same thing in Spanish. So if you can give them multi-step directions and pile these basic directions on top of each other in Spanish, then that's mm -hmm. helping them to develop linguistically. Okay, how about it's bedtime? 
because I, I say that several times a day uh, <laughs> the one, in the evening. The one that I typically use is, is la hora para dormir. That way I can use it day or night. So nap time, night time. It's la hora para dormir. How about let's say they're going to wake up late. They need to go to school. When you want to tell them, get out of bed, what would you say? Levántate ahorita. Ah, levántate, levántate. Get up. Get up, get up. Yes, that is also one that goes often ignored. Yes. My last one, so I was one more just to kind of help some of the parents out there because these are things I say all the time too and I just know it's like we, we want to make language learning so complicated but I think it's just like simple things that if you just right. start using them mm, exactly use the Spanish you know it, like you don't have to be able to give like a thesis in Spanish to start speaking to your children so like even if you just take what Cammy's giving you in these couple commands and start using them you're starting to uh, build a bilingual household so uh, so how do we tell them to go brush their teeth go brush your teeth cepillate los dientes Cepillate los dientes. I actually have to tell my daughter that like four times in the morning because it's okay. And then, wait, mm, and then she'll, she'll come real close and talk and say, oh, wait, cepillate los dientes. Por favor, te amo, perro. Necesitas cepillarte los dientes, vida. And that's an easy one. You can always say, if you can say nothing else, you can say, te amo, mm-hmm. I love you, or yeah. te quiero, right? You yeah. can say either one. Mm-hmm. If you take nothing else away, you don't want to give commands, right? You want them to associate right. Spanish with nice things. <laughs> <laughs> Just start saying, te amo, te quiero, buenos dias, te amo. Right. But yeah, I love that. I love that. So I always love to give practical stuff on the podcast. So thank you for that, because I wanted people to be able to get some things they can use right away. So my last, my last sort of question on, on this topic is just, just because I know that once folks get started on this journey, they might come across some issues, right? So what would you say is one of the most challenging parts about raising bilingual children? Some of the challenges that I, that I know that I've had personally are other family members who might not quite understand what it is that you're doing, who can sometimes kind of thwart your your process. So in the midst of you trying to work hard to do this language thing, you might have the one auntie, the one grandma, the one uncle, the one cousin, you know, they don't understand what you're doing. You might just speak to them in English. And you have to make sure that, you know, you have these conversations with your family about what that needs to look like for you. You can set boundaries around your expectation for language. Yeah, that's interesting. I think I've read before, I think there was some resource for how to establish a bilingual household. And they were saying like, you have to have a a language policy, Mm -hmm. right? So I know some people do like one parent, one language, or they'll do like, let's see, they'll, they'll like hire a nanny or something that only speaks Spanish. But there's some type of guidelines and boundaries. So I think that's a good point you mentioned that you have to sort of have something in place, right? Some type of right. rules to the game so that everyone kind of knows that they can support you uh, or not support you, but at least mm-hmm. <laughs> you'll have some clarity around, around, uh, like you mentioned, like the language lifestyle you're building in your household. Right. Because the, the main point is that you want to feel confident and you want to make sure that your kids feel confident. And even in the moments where you might struggle or you might stumble, they still need to see your confidence in the midst of that. And if there's folks around you that aren't helping to support even that part of it, it makes it difficult for the whole family to be able to move and move forward because there's there's now a contradiction there. So setting up those that setting up that language policy is really important to make sure that everybody else, whether they do it or not, is still on board with the fact that you're doing it. And I'm not asking everybody to be bilingual, but I do want you to understand that this is what I'm doing with them. 
So I need you to make sure that you're supporting what I'm doing with that. Yeah, that's great. And I hope that anyone listening to this has been thinking about teaching their children. They keep putting it off, putting it off and putting it off that now is a great time to start. There's now is always a great time. I always tell people that there's nothing that you have to wait for. So even if you feel like, oh, I didn't get off to a great start because I haven't been teaching them since they were, you know, in the womb. Uh, it doesn't mean that you can't still teach them and you can't still learn yourself. So I would definitely say take some of the advice that Kami is giving you and start now if you've been thinking about it or at least look into it. Even if you just use the couple of phrases that we shared with you in this episode, because that'll be something that can take you to the next step and the next step and the next step. Okay. So thank you, Kemi, for sharing that. So now I'm going to torture you. Uh, <laughs> no, it won't be torture, but <laughs> this is my quick fire round. Where I'm going to ask you five questions in Espanol for you to answer off the top of your head. So, lista? Sí, lista que sea. Entonces, el número uno. ¿Cuál es tu canción favorita en español? Hay demasiados. La canción quizás, 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 quizás. Me encanta esa canción. Y también... Cualquier cosa de Celia. Ok, número dos. ¿Tienes una palabra favorita de español? ¿Algo que no tenemos en inglés o simplemente una palabra que te gusta? Sí, tumbao. Porque soy una negra con tumbao, sí. ¿Cómo se traduce tumbao? Porque para mí normalmente yo digo algo como swag. Sí, es como así, pero yo tengo una palabra africano de, del país Senegal. Porque en Senegal ellos dicen en su idioma Wolof, Grianque, y para mí es la mismo tumbao y grianque es como es como camina la mujer el poder lo sensual y todo eso que está en su camino esto es grianque y tumbar para mí es pues posible es diferente para otros pero para mí es eso yo también puedo compartir la canción de Celia Cruz, que esa negra tiene tumbado, ¿no? Sí, sí. Eso explica perfectamente cuando ves el video. Sí. Ok, número tres. ¿Cuál fue la última cosa que leíste, miraste o escuchaste en español? Oh, um, el libro Yo, de Julia Álvarez. Es ficción, es una, es una novela sobre una mujer dominicana que vive en los Estados Unidos y la relación entre su padre, su madre y, y sus hermanas. Ok, número cuatro, eso es un, un reto. Saca tu teléfono y traduce para nosotros el último texto que recibiste al español. ¿Dónde están los niños? Número 5 es la última pregunta y es una pregunta al azar. Si no tuvieras que trabajar, ¿qué harías con el tiempo adicional? Bailar, pero específicamente bailar africano, porque me encanta. Entonces, gracias por participar. Thank you for participating in our quick fire round. So as we wrap up, how can folks connect with you if they want to learn more about bilingual brown babies and they want to get started on their bilingual journey with their children? Actually, all things bilingual brown babies. If you look for bilingual brown babies on Facebook, you'll find it. If you look for bilingual brown babies on IG, you'll find it. If you go to bilingualbrownbabies.com, you'll find it. I do do a lot of videos. I do a lot of live videos on Facebook and on IG. We also have my own social network for Black families. It's um, it's on the Mighty Network. And if you go to my website, bilingualbrownbabies.com, you'll be able to access that for free and ever come in and join our big familia de Español Negra. Okay, entonces, gracias de nuevo. Thank you for taking the time to join us on the Learn Spanish Con Salsa podcast. Thank you for having me. 
Espero que hayan disfrutado de nuestra conversación. I hope you enjoyed that conversation and you were inspired that you also can raise bilingual children no matter how old they are. And you can get the support that you need in your journey. La próxima semana, next week, I'll be breaking down the lyrics to a famous song by one of Dr. Camille's favorite artists, Celia Cruz. Así que no te lo pierdas. You don't want to miss next week's episode. So if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to our podcast on whatever podcast app that you are listening to us on now, whether it's Spotify or Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Make sure that you hit the subscribe button so that you will be notified as soon as we release new content. Y como siempre, as always, espero que algo que te has escuchado en este episodio haya servido para que vayas un pasito más cerca de ser bilingüe. I hope that something you heard in this episode has helped you go one step closer to your goal of being bilingual. Hasta la próxima. Thank you for listening to the Learn Spanish con Salsa podcast at LearnSpanishConSalsa.com. 